Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Football Babble podcast. Noticed it's Brent here, um, filling in for Phil again. He is um, at an Ashley game, Satan. Um, so, try my best. Do what Phil does so well. And tune into his Twitter because um, he's putting up some really good stuff about the Irish League these days. Really exciting league this year, so um, get involved. And Phil has sent us a little message, I think. So we'll hear from Phil now. Good evening, the Babel. Um, Philip here. I am currently outside Mournview Park, waiting to go in for tonight's Danske Bank Premier League game, which is between Glenavon hosting Glentorn. So I'll probably do a video on that up on the site later on anyway. But for the Football Babel podcast, hello, how are you all? Um, no me or no Patrick this week, so I'm quite nervous about how um, biased, uh, unbiased, sorry, towards Liverpool and how sort of I'm quite nervous about what Steve's going to say basically towards Liverpool, so I'll be listening intently in the morning to see what's been said, and this is just a warning to all of you out there that if there has been anything said on towards, towards my beautiful Reds, then there will be repercussions. Uh, obviously Liverpool were playing last night, uh, a 1-0 win, a win in the Premier League, and a goal uh, from play in the Premier League, something like 70, what was it, before the goal went in, at 70 shots at goal, only two had went in the Premier League, I think it was in 2021 or something stupid, and... Thankfully, Diogo Jota, um, he obliged with, with, with a goal. That's him in double figures this year for Liverpool as well, which is pretty impressive. Um, but apart from that there, it was a bit meh for Liverpool. It was just get over the line and get it done. Um, the two to centre-halves were good. Quebec especially, I thought it was probably his best game. He's played in Liverpool shirt. And that's a couple of performances now where he's done similar and gotten better. And if it was me and I was in charge, I think I would be getting that deal done for the summer because... Um, there's a lot of potential clearly there in Quebec. He's only 20. Um, people were talking about his pace. Yet last night he caught Morgan Gibbs White and took the ball off and passed it back to Allison with about three minutes to go, which is really assured. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on, especially going forward next season when he has the likes of Van Dijk or Gomez or Mata Perry. You can slot him beside him and just let him learn. Please with that. Um, all all our madness happened this late this. This Premier League weekend. Burnley went to Merseyside again and conquered it. They beat Everton 2-1, which is nice. I don't know if you lads talk about that, but I thought it was nice. Um, I'm sure you'll talk about the Leeds and Chelsea game. Manchester United win again. But obviously this week, I am 100% convinced it's going to be focused on the North London derby and Jonathan's beautiful Arsenal team <clears throat> that went and beat the Tottenham. Because, as we all know, folks, it is the history of a day Tottenham. Uh, enjoy the podcast tonight, folks. That's all from me, really, because I have a lot of work to do before I go in and do my stuff uh, for BBC later, and I want to get that done. But the three lads will look after tonight. And as always, catch all our podcasts ac- across all your podcast apps at the Football Babble Pod. I'm sure Brenton will remind us anyway. And enjoy the rest of the show, and good luck. No Liverpool um, lads tonight. So, I mean, we could decide to rip into them later if we want to. Um, a man who uh, gets off on on Twitter arguments since I've been following him, um, and he said he can't put in a day without getting a good Twitter argument. Um, Steve O'Rourke, Steve, how you doing? Good, no argument today, but I uh, was pondering how many chickens I could beat in a fight. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, if you put that that up, I'm sure the arguments will flow in, and uh, there's still plenty of time. You know, only seven o'clock, like so. <laughs> plenty of time and it is a warm welcome back um to a man who has been buzzing um since the final whistle to get on to the pod this week cousin mud jd how you doing sir i am extremely well and sitting wondering to myself what the fuck is wrong with steve that he's sitting thinking about chickens he can beat up Can we explore it a bit, Steve? Like, where's the, yeah, where's the train of thought there? So, I don't know. I was just thinking about chickens. 
and I was wondering, like, okay, I reckon I could, like, you could, if they came at you one at a time, I reckon you could easily top, like, 50, 100 chickens, like, because you just, you know, drop kick them, that's fine. So if they group up, like, I reckon that if it's 10 or more chickens, they might have me in a fight, like, um, but because did you see that thing on Twitter today as well, like, about Malta? No. There, there's some country, I can't remember what it is, there's like more chickens in a country than there is in Malta. And if these, if the chickens in this country tried to invade Malta, everyone that lives in Malta would have to fight 42 chickens. Oh wow. No, see, I didn't <laughs> see that. There you go. And then, so obviously, maybe I did and it just like bled into my brain or something, but or, there might be a bleed in my brain, alright, but who knows. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it, I think it really does depend on on like how the chickens like go about this because if they're strategic they could kick the shit out of me like you know uh, but if they don't want to have time like in a kung fu movie or something I, I'd have them I would fear they'd pluck my eyes out like just pack away at my eyes and that would be awful and then you couldn't see them coming there's an evil enough type to chickens like anyone else get that like yeah I suppose they're related to dinosaurs aren't they so like they still have that vicious streak in them well you have to remember um, that Tottenham have a fucking chicken on their badge, so I just said everything about them. <laughs> Here we go. He, he, he couldn't keep it. He couldn't keep it bottled in for long enough. <laughs> what are we? What yeah, are we in here? Jetty, or just you, just yeah. over five minutes in? <laughs> <laughs> Not even, sir. Um, Jetty, you were you were informing us today, which um, was a, was a great fact that I wasn't aware of. Um, is that your whole time with a bobble? Um. Arsenal have never beat the Spurs until the weekend. Yeah, um, I, I just had, all times. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss this podcast. So I was like, yeah, definitely have to be on this one because I don't know. I felt like this podcast had jinxed me or something. Like we just couldn't seem to beat them. Withdrawn a lot with them. It's not like they're beating us every time. But I don't know. It just it was annoying. What, what, just, what, what was what was the what was the magic touch then at the weekend? What what got the Arsenal over the line? Uh, a Gabriel header towards the end got Arsenal over the line. Um, they basically just shut their pants as per usual. And if it wasn't for that piece of defending, Tottenham probably would have stole the point of bastards. But luckily they did not. Um, I thought um, Emil Smith Rowe and Odegaard played very very well. Um, and then, like, there's there's actually so much that's come out of this game, really. Like, you know, when you think about the Aubameyang situation, uh, mm. Harry Kane doing his usual shite, Lamella getting sent off, shuttered a bit of penalty. Like, Arteta basically laughing in Mourinho's face, I thought was fantastic. And that image will just be framed in my wall for life. It was great. And I think on every Arsenal fan's wall, it'll be on. It was just a great picture. So credit to the guy that got that photo. Um, but I have to say, like... <laughs> As much as I really, really loved the win against Spurs the weekend, what I also found funny, which is completely unrelated to the game, that Mustafi scored no goal for Shelga in Germany. And then, <laughs> then he turns around and he looks like trying to blame it on somebody else. And I'm just like, you are a fool. Like, you are a fool of a human being. But, uh, like, I've been just, I've been kind of interested to see what, obviously just with you two lads on tonight, what did you think of the, the penalty? For like, did you think it was a penalty, or do you think it was soft, or whatever? Steve, go on ahead. I thought it was a penalty. Um, I thought even Jamie Redknapp, in his own, you know, schoolchild way of explaining things, like, he he was saying it wasn't a penalty, yet everything he described is something that you would want a penalty given for your team if it happened to, to one of your players. I don't think Spurs can have any complaints uh, about it at all because I think every every single team, uh, if that happened to one of your players, you'd you'd be hoping for a penalty. So I, I, I for me it was I don't think it was Stonewall. I don't think I'd go that far, but for me I'd be disappointed if the ref wasn't pointing to the spot for it. Mm. It was it was sort of a it was like a confusing scenario as well because in <clears throat> in usual times like that would be. You would expect Lacazette to make some sort of contact with it, and I think because he didn't, um, that's what made it look so unnatural or something. Um, so the fact that he swiped and missed at it, it just it was clumsy, maybe. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was definitely a penalty. But 
Um, uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm actually not surprised he missed it. I'm actually not, because I've seen him do this so often that he'll get a ball across the box that is relatively easy just to tap in, and he will swipe at it and completely miss it. He's, he's a history of doing this. Just like, mm. you know, the history of the Tottenham, their shape, and the Calvin <laughs> and everything. But, but that is yeah, like, like, it, that, that's him it, all over. Your best, he's your best, like, you know, someone in front of goal. Arteta usually goes with him, doesn't he? Like, through the middle. Arteta usually goes with Lacazette in the big games to hold up the ball because Aubameyang isn't going to do that. Um, but when I seen the team on Sunday, I thought he's actually playing the right team here. And I thought he had left Aubameyang out for tactical reasons before we actually found out why he was left out. And I think it actually it helped Arsenal because Mills and Arthur played absolutely fantastic out the left. Um, the Aubameyang situation... Seems to have been just, I don't know, there was pictures released from the day, all smiles as usual, so, like, it must be sorted out, I don't know. There was, you know, chat that he left the stadium 20 minutes after the final whistle on Sunday, which, uh, yeah. obviously isn't, isn't what you want to hear, like, but. What, what um, did you make of that? Uh, I'm kind of just fed up. I, I remember, I think two, must have been nearly two years ago now, we were talking on the pod and, we were chatting about would I rather keep Lacazette or Aubameyang? And at the time, I think I said, I'd rather keep Lacazette. Um, I think he actually got our player of the season that year, but I just think Aubameyang's attitude just is, is crap. And, you know, if you read about what happened in like Dortmund and all, like, and all the phones out there, and just the way he goes about things, like, he gets on like an absolute child on social media and he associates himself with people who, you know, have threatened you know, previous managers, you know, with death, like Arsene Wenger, they say they want to kill him, and uh, they've slagged off Lacazette, yet Lacazette's sending them boys, you know, signed shirts and stuff, and then Aubameyang's doing Instagram lives with them decades from Arsenal fan TV, which, I don't know, he, uh, he's just a strange character. He's obviously a great footballer, but... Yeah, that, that that is your your sort of balance there. Like I, I was gonna say, Arsenal have some big games coming up. Um, obviously, it could still you know it's very tight in around there. It could still push up into those European places. Um, and Europa League, who knows how far it could go? It, it's pretty open competition. Um, so what's your what's your balance there with Aubameyang? You know, what approach do you think Arteta will take? Because as you said, like. That worked out pretty well against Spurs, that team, uh, at the weekend. Yeah, it just, everybody in the team just worked their ass off and chased everything down. Like, um, I heard a journalist who, apparently, he works for Sky Germany or Italy, I can't remember exactly which one, but he said Spurs confused them because they played a high line but didn't press at all. And like, I, I just thought Spurs were going to set up the way I thought they were going to, you know, sit back and just try and hit Arsenal on the counter. Like, I thought Arsenal's left-hand side absolutely destroyed Doherty and Gareth Bale. But bar the pass, Gareth Bale played across for um, the Spurs goal. I can't really remember him doing much else. Um, it's, um, it, it's, Aubameyang obviously is a great player. It's hard to know kind of what to, to say. Like he's, he's still going to be at Arsenal for another two, two three years. Like So either you're not going to get a lot of money for him either. That's the only thing. Like He's at that age now where... You know, his values went down, and he's still capable of scoring goals, but... Is he good enough to to warrant the hassle, though? Like, that's the question you always ask yourself with a player like this. And, like, like, part of me is, like, you know, I'm someone who, you know, when offices used to exist, I'm someone who used to turn up at quarter past nine every morning, so maybe I'm not the best person to kind of to talk to. (laughs) Like, being late, as long as you're there on time for the warm-up and stuff like that. Is it really that big a deal? Like, there's such a tough... Ba- I know Arteta can't make exceptions. I understand Collymore, I think, was it, did it came out and said, like, oh, you know, for your best players, you, you make exceptions to your rules. But actually, your best players are the ones who should be abiding your rules probably the most because they need to lead by example for everyone else. Like, I just don't know... your captain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know if he's... Like, he's good, but is he good enough to act the way he acts sometimes. That's what I don't get with him. Like, um, I don't. Like, I don't think he is. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I think he's a good player, and I've loved everything he's done so far at Arsenal. Like, but 
you know, it's it's not the first time apparently he's been late to things and he broke, you know, quarantine rules, went and got a tattoo a few weeks ago and I don't know, like he I think he needs to realise he's very privileged that he's able to go and play a sport yeah. at the level he is and particularly at the moment where a lot of people would kill to even go out and kick a ball with their mates mm. legally. Um but like it's just this whole attitude, it's just I don't know, like Gwen Doozy had a shit attitude and he was out the door straight away in the summer, like Arteta did not want anything to do with him. And he's a younger player who you could develop and potentially he could mature out of that. But Aubameyang's now set in his ways. He's in his 30s. I don't know. It's He's obviously, he has a good um, positive impact apparently on the squad and the changing room. So if you get rid of a player who's that popular as well, it could go against you. Like The same thing nearly happened with Ozil. Like Ozil was a very popular character in the dressing room, but he was toxic as well. He was releasing things yeah. through his agent to, to media and things like that there. But... Um, it's it's hopefully resolved as as far as I can tell from Arteta. It's in the past for him, and he's moved on. And just going by the photos today, I know photos can't really tell you that, but Aubameyang seems to be grand and smiling away in training, which is obviously good to see because he wasn't smiling on Sunday when he was on the bench, <laughs> and he didn't uh, get on. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm just glad Arsenal were able to beat Spurs and um, and beat Mourinho because I just despise everything about Mourinho, like. Spurs are bad enough on their own, but when you add Mourinho into the frame, it just fucking makes you hate them so much. They're just, oh, God. And I was actually texting my mate, who's a Spurs fan, after the game, and I was like, well, what do you think? And all that there sort of kick. And he thought, Arsenal were there for the taking. If Tottenham had have just went out and attacked, do you think? Like, I was really, really worried in the fact I thought, Garth Bale, Son, Harry Kane, and then there's, like, Lamella to bring off the bench, and Anton Bale has been playing well this year, and I thought, we could be in trouble here today. But um, he didn't do anything. Like Mourinho yeah. just, and he done the. I thought he done this when he first came into United. They were attacking, and I remember the. I can't remember who the bait. It was like near the start of Mourinho's year where he beat somebody four 0 at Old Trafford, and I was like, oh my Chelsea. god, he's like, was it Chelsea? <laughs> Whoever it was, I was like, flip, he's going back to like Mourinho's going to destroy teams. But then he just went back in those old ways of just sitting back and defending, and he's just such a negative manager. And somebody said on Twitter yesterday that. Mourinho is no good with a team he can't that don't give him massive funds. Now I don't believe that entirely because you think oh I done with Porto and mm. Inter Milan he inherited a very good team and added to it as well. Like but um I just think maybe his managing philosophy is kind of dated now. A bit the way like Arsen Wenger went, you know, Wenger came in and he revolutionised things in England and you know, the nutrition. Completely dated. It was dated when he was yeah. like, it, it's he, he hasn't moved on. Um, he's stuck in his way, and like, I think he's hoping. I think it's a bit like you know, um, bootleg jeans. He's hoping they'll come back into fashion, and his style of management will, mm-hmm. will will do the same. But like, he he's turned. Like, this is what like what I don't understand. Matt Doherty was one of the most in demand fullbacks in European football. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone thought he was, you know. An exceptionally talented player. He looks terrible since Mourinho came in Spurs. Like I, mean, I know he's not playing in the kind of same. He was obviously playing in you know five at the back with Wolves and was slightly different or whatever. But like he's not he's not playing very well at all. And that's completely Mourinho's supposed to be this defensive genius. And if you can't get your defenders playing well, then you know you're kind of in trouble to begin with. But I think that's the Mourinho experience. Is that like he is content having forty percent possession. And winning every game, you know, one nil if possible. Like, and he doesn't really seem to have a plan B beyond that. Um, and he's been that way for a good eight, ten years now at this stage. Unfortunately, because he wasn't always this manager. I know he had a reputation as a manager who came in and the first thing he did was shore up the defense. But like you, you mentioned the Porto teams and things like that, and even his first kind of go around at Chelsea, like they were fun to watch. It's just now it's just unpleasant to watch any Spurs game because of Mourinho's involvement in it. Yeah. I, I think he kind of done he's done something similar with Doherty that maybe he done with Luke Shaw at Man United. Like you see Luke Shaw now has been fantastic this season and it's maybe taken Luke Shaw this long to get over what Mourinho done to him, you know, mentally. Yeah. The fact that like Doherty it was a fantastic right back and I I think the way Spurs even handled the whole sign of Doherty, like the announcement of him, like it was a nice video of him deleting tweets of him saying he was an Arsenal fan. Like, I'm like, you see, if we signed a player and they were doing something like that as in a video to announce a player, 
you're completely against them from the start. You're like, fuck we signed an Arsenal fan for? Or like, it's just embarrassing. Like, you know, why would you even focus on your rival club when you're signing a player? You know, it's just stupid. And I just think that's, that's not just Spurs. You know, it's the way teams announce players nowadays. It's just all these big glamorous videos. Like the way even Arsenal announced the Bamiang was it was this big show video with this music in the background and Mkhitaryan was in it. And it's just a load of shit. What just happened to the days where Sky Sports reported? Oh, uh, Chelsea have signed Shevchenko or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And we just get on with it. Like, like, great, we've signed them. Now people are waiting for these videos to come out and see what the fucking clubs come up with this time, but it's the way it is now it is. Um, another point I kind of want to talk about, and Phil tweeted about it, um, it we've mentioned it before, is just, and it wasn't mentioned across any, you know, match of this, Sky, anything like that, was Harry Kane's late tackle on Gabriel, which, like, fuck me, like, come on. What is that about? Like, you know, the ball was well gone and he just, he didn't even, if you look at the video, he wasn't even looking at the ball. It's yeah, probably one of these days that Kane's going to get hoofed. Like. He had decided, I think, about 10 or 15 yards out that he was going to do, was it Gabriel, yeah? Yeah, Gabriel, yeah. Yeah, that he was going to do Gabriel and, because he knew he, he was too late for the ball. Um, But, do you think, like, Steve, I'll ask you this. Do you think he, I know in this pod especially, like we, we tend to focus on Tottenham and Kane uh, a lot of, when things go wrong for them, but do you think there is an element there of protection of English players and obviously in this case the English captain? There there has been since, well, as long as I've been watching football, uh, like Alan Shearer comes to mind, like the elbows Alan Shearer used to throw and get away with, like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, it is just a continuation of that. It really, really is like, and in a way, I get it. I mean, I completely get it. Like, you don't want uh, every kind of group of players has, um, like a Gaza, someone that is disposable, someone you can throw this stuff at, and that's the difference I think with this current kind of English setup is that they don't. They're protecting everyone. You know, Declan Rice had an absolute nightmare for West Ham against United the other night. And you won't hear anything about how badly he played, like, in it, because they're protecting him. Jack Grealish, when he has off games for Aston Villa, it's the same kind of thing. And I, to a certain extent, I, I get it from the, a commentator's point of view or a media point of view, you know, like, you don't hear it on the BBC, you won't hear it on Sky or whatever. What I don't get is referees. Like, why is a referee not saying, okay, hang on, if I let Harry Kane away with that, and then say, you know, Martin Odegaard decides he's going to do something similar in five minutes, I can't really send him off for doing something similar or whatever, you know? Um, and this thing. You lose integrity uh, exactly at some it. stage. You do, absolutely. Like, because th- this thing about him backing into players as well, I know he hasn't done it in a, in a while, but like, it's become a trademark for him. Like, people are expecting it in games and people are expecting him to get away with it as well. And it's, it's this thing of, well, who's going to be the referee or the assistant referee that's going to like stand up to this and say, do you know what? That's actually dangerous play and someone could get really hurt by it. But as long as he's England captain, I just, I just don't see it happening. And like, we'll talk about it, but matches, they won't talk about it. And, and Sky Sports News won't talk about it because he's, he is England captain. Like, and while I understand it, it's just a little bit sad as well. Like, because, you know, ultimately he goes to a world cup and he does that. And a Spanish referee or an Argentinian referee or a Russian referee isn't going to give a shy who Harry Kane is. And all of a sudden, England are down to 10 men and he's cost them a tournament, you know? So ultimately, you're not doing him any good in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Like, Jermaine Jean has made a deck out of himself too on match of the day. Like, trying to... He shot about the penalty a lot and went on saying it wasn't a penalty. And then he talked about, about Lamella's sending off now. The first yellow card for Lamella, it was the trailing leg that probably got him the yellow. Um, maybe it was a bit harsh. Like I chatted with my mate about it as well, and he was a bit unhappy about it. Um, the second yellow thing, yeah, yellow card, like he swung his arm back and slapped him in the face, like way you go. But it was it was just even more delightful to see Lamella go off. The fact he scored that goal. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a lot of chat about that goal as well. It's been the best Premier League goal, best goal scored in the North London Derby, blah, 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 whatever. But, um, you know, you lost the game and you get sent off. So that's what I'll be remembering him for from this game. Um, so, yeah, way you back, mate. Enjoy your, enjoy your suspension. I think uh, Arsenal will probably 
storm the league now and go win it if Man City don't win any more games, but you can still win it on uh, goal difference. So it's coming, it's coming. Can you? <laughs> Trust on, on the process. That, um, on that Lamella thing, do you think like I've seen obviously uh, once a goal like that I scored and it was an unbelievable goal. There's articles pop up about the best Premier League goals ever. Do you think it, it's anywhere in the realm? Mm, yes. There's been some great goals scored in the Premier League, even prior to the Premier League. Um, just it's because really it's as well, isn't it? Like because folk, yeah. like, and I think it's partly to do with the fact that actually for the last three months since Christmas, Premier League has been shite. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm tired of. Finishing watching a game going, why did they just waste 90 minutes watching that? Because there's so many of them are just bad games. Like, um, and for me, it's, it's, it's not there. I think Burkamp against Newcastle, like, I think is probably better. Um, I think that I, for me, my favorite goal was Canio's against Wimbledon. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I know I'm like going back along with Jesus. That's, 21 years ago now that I think about it like uh, or Rooney um, the volley against Newcastle not the, the City goal which he shinned uh, but the volley against Newcastle I think uh, yeah. Van Persie's volley against Charlton sticks to yeah. me like he was in the air when he hit that it was just incredible like even Cantona as we dink I can't remember who it was against but he just like he was in the edge of the box he just yeah. shipped it oh that was a great goal like, yeah. absolutely fantastic uh, I- Again, you're going to have bias about your clubs as well. Like, um, I've seen Chelsea ones recently about the ASEAN one, Jetty against Arsenal. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I thought, I can remember that game so well. I thought Arsenal played fantastic. Like, we played really well that day. It was actually the first, um, time that Ashley Cole faced us after he left. We twat. So, uh, <laughs> we played really well. Flamini scored and I was like, we're actually going to beat them. And second that we dick for leaving them. And <laughs> I actually remember Frank Lampard let it off to him and, I was like, he's hitting this. And then I was just saying, I was like, oh, it's going wide. And then it started to bend back in. And I was like, holy shit, that's going in. And just, it was, it was just one of them goals. And like, and I see it now. Like, it's just, what a goal. Like, like I tried even to, you know, replicate it in the past. And it's just, it's just one of those goals. Like, it's just like once in a lifetime. Like, you just hit it so well that it just, yeah. just went in. It was a great goal. I can see it now, JD, marauding up from right back. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we, I, when I worked with the the, the, the sports website, like, we used to have this discussion about like, what's the best goal you've seen that you think you could score yourself? And for me, it's Van Persie's header at the World Cup because I thought that was the most overrated goal I've ever seen. He literally just like it's just a header, like it's not even yeah. that. He's not, not, like I, I did never got the love that that um. But that goal got um like there was so many better goals scored at World Cups than that, but that was the one I always thought. Yeah, if someone pinged the right cross in, I could easily jump and head the ball over keeper from that range. <laughs> yeah. You just throw your head out like don't you? You yeah, just throw your whole body out. Um yeah, but uh, as you say there, just talking about Harry Kane and by the way, I just I pulled it up there in the Premier League, two hundred and thirty six appearances, obviously no red cards. Um 27 yellows, which seems low, um, for the stuff he gets up to. Yeah. Um, but it it also brought up that game, a debate about the best player never to win a major trophy. Um, Mm -hmm. again, people were, were citing Harry Kane. And I don't know why, because off the back of that game, he wasn't great. Uh, I mean, he came alive in, in the last, what, 10? Eight ten minutes when when yeah. Spurs needed a goal, um, he did nothing up to that. Um, but we wanted to sort of get the last opinion. Obviously, I, I don't think Harry Kane's going to win it. But Steve, you can lead us off with with who you came up with. Yeah, so I suppose it depends on it depends on how you you rate a major trophy. So for me, it's either a league title, a Champions, or you know, a continental title, a World Cup, or a, a, a European Cup, something like that. So I was having to think, and you know, once you rule out FA Cup, it kind of opens things up a little bit more. And for me, it's Paul McGrath because, like, honestly, the best defender, obviously showing Man United by and Ireland bias here, but like the best defender I've ever seen play, like. Unbelievably talented, um, even if he could only train once a week. Um, but like, I, I'll never forget, like, 
Roberto Baggio was up there with um was the star of like the nineteen ninety four World Cup, right? Paul McGrath mm-hmm. played him off the park in the opening game of that tournament. Like Baggio might as well not have been on the pitch. Italy were basically playing with ten players. It was one of the best performances I've ever seen from a player. So for me for me it's McGrath. Uh but I can think outside of that I think you know it's it's really kind of it's difficult because like good players just find a way to win something, don't they? Like really, really good players find a way to win a league title or a Champions League or, you know, they're from a country that, you know, dominates or, or, or what have you. So yeah, for, it's, it's McGrath almost by default because it's such a, it's such a tough ask, like. Yeah. And like, there's, I know what you're saying about the FA Cup. Like once you, once you take that out of the, Major trophies. Um, there's, there's, there's not a lot of you know, household no. names to to kind of choose from. Um, and I'm sure Phil will love that line, but uh, Baggio, you've just riled them up there again. Um, <laughs> but I suppose like people would would maybe quote Matt Letizia if you're if you're taking away the the Irish best, like literally won absolutely nothing in his career. Yeah. And missed one pound in his career. Yeah, Van Persie probably would have been on that list before he went to United, buddy. Yeah, he would have been. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If you don't count the FA Cup, yeah, he would have. Been. Yeah, he, he yeah. probably would have been up there. I think it's. Yeah. I think the problem with Letizia is like his kind of post-playing career has put a lot of people off him, and you know how he kind of became a mouse for a certain section of society or whatever. His Twitter career. I'm actually just. Has- uh, yeah, his Twitter career, yeah. Do you know who I've just thought of? And he's one he was one of my favourite players uh growing up. Uh Mendieta that used to play for Valencia. Um unbelievably talented footballer. But did he win a World Cup? I can't remember. Was he I don't think he was. I don't think he I think he was gone out of Spanish no. by the time the one. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it the same one that played for Middlesbrough, was it? Uh did he yeah he did, yeah. That's he not yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In Middlesbrough really um, late in his career, like he was in his thirties, I think. Yeah. yeah, memory serves. Millsbridge did not win the Champions League that year. So. No, they did not. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Joaquin for Real Betis, he was always my favourite kind of winger, uh, and I don't think he ever ended up winning either. Like, but there's lots of like, re- there's lots of good players. But like, when you actually get to the conversation of who's a great player, never to win a major title, it becomes really, really difficult to name anyone. Yeah, I'd personally say all great players have at least won something. So. Um, like Jermaine Defoe has never won a major tournament uh, trophy, and uh, he still hasn't because we're not kind of not shaped up in Scotland either. Um, Tim Cahill never won a major trophy, which uh, yeah, thought he would have won something. And yeah, they're in they're in that section, aren't they? Of like good, but not beyond that. Like yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly where Harry Kane belongs because you can't be a great if you don't win anything. Like. He won nothing. He's won nothing. He's got it. Like the only thing he has won is the Audi Cup, and he probably won't even win that again. So like, <laughs> like, how can we even call this guy a great player? Uh, I just think he's overrated. But I'm just biased, completely biased, as you know. Like I just can't stand the guy, and he belongs in the Tim Cahill category. So <laughs> would you throw um, Gary Lineker in there? Yes, I seen him earlier when I because when you asked me this question, I did do a bit of research and Google and stuff and I seen he came up. Uh yeah, he's in there with Gary Lager. Gary Lager's not dick, so uh, <laughs> it exact exact category he belongs in. Dicks, like like not necessarily you know, but you know what I mean. Like like just people that are just arseholes like like Les Ferdinand honestly, he's on a list here as well. He didn't win a major trophy, which actually that's surprising. Um there's probably no category though, is there of like players who only took a really cynical move to win a title, and I only say this because I'm literally looking at Michael Owen on my screen right now. Um, <laughs> Van Persie, like, yeah, or Van Persie as well. Like, Hold his soul know. for one Premier League. Yeah, like there's probably there's probably like, I'd say if you like kind of widen this out to players who've won one title, you'd probably get a better quality of player. But I completely agree that if you can't lead a team to something. Like how good are you? Like you know, it it really is kind of a damning indictment on you as a as a player because a lot of these guys, I'm thinking of Mendieta, I'm thinking of uh, Lineker. They all ended up being club captains as well, didn't they? So the fact that they weren't able to do that 
it kind of says a lot about them as players too. Yeah, even if you think yeah. of the teams when, that Lineker was at, yeah, he was at Barcelona, Barcelona. You know, yeah, 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 crazy. And he didn't really, he yeah, didn't he, win he, a major. No real excuse, did he? No. Like the best thing he done was shit on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, I don't know. Like, I, I really think if Harry Kane has any ambition at all, while he still has time on his hands, like he needs to move. And there's been talk of you know. Potentially maybe going to Manchester United. Don't know if that'll ever happen. Whether United could even afford whatever, because you know Spurs are very, very hard to bargain with. Um, you've seen in the past when the players have sold the money that sold them for. I give them credit for that. They definitely can get full value for their players. Like, um, but he really but you have to remember that United spent eighty million on Harry Maguire. So I mean, there, there's no limits. Well, I was just about to say, I think having paid the Harry Maguire tax, I'm not sure United are going to go back into, especially now they have a director of football. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think, I think Kane will move outside the Premier League, honestly. Um, Real Madrid, maybe? Depends on what they do with Ronaldo this summer, doesn't it? Um, because that's the talk that he's going to leave Juventus and go back that, that direction. But, um, mm-hmm. like, I suppose, if you if you're in a dressing room with Gareth Bale all the time, is he going to recommend going to Real Madrid? Probably not. <laughs> um, and Barcelona, we know the opposite. I would say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Barcelona, we know can't afford them. Like this is the problem. I think we're now starting to see like with the TV rights thing happening in France, PSG suddenly don't have any money. Uh, Juve, obviously, we know are in financial trouble. That's where they're starting to get rid of Ronaldo. Your options become very limited very quickly uh, as a player kind of looking to force that that big move so Kane might end up stuck at Spurs and you know I don't I don't know how good he is so I don't know how much I'd want my team to kind of go out and and, and splash the cash on him I think there are better centre forwards out there um, that I'd much rather I was say there just say though like it, I can't say Haaland going to United um, not with the with the, hit, <laughs> yeah. uh, with the history there and it just seems like he will end up going to, to basically it'll get into a, a a price war and it'll probably end up being City that he goes to. Um, so who like I have a feeling that Kane is going to end up at United this this summer. And I don't know where that's coming from, but after Halloween, where do United go if they don't go for high Kane? I. Uh... I have a sneaking suspicion that United might be players in Mbappe moving. Uh, where everyone's talking about Liverpool and Mbappe. I Don't you seen, anger, Phil. You're going to anger him. I can feel the anger. Sorry, I'm sorry. But I have a feeling, because United are being so quiet about it, that's always kind of a, a bit of a trigger for me uh, with it. The Haaland thing, like, he's obviously a phenomenal player, but, like, you know, 15 years ago, ago, Roy Keane ruined any chance of that move happening. Um, so, uh, I, I just don't see, don't see it happening. And, you know, if, if you kind of want to make that big splash, if you're Mbappe, if you're kidding Mbappe, do you say, do you look at Liverpool who might not even be in the Europa League or do you look at a Champions League team? Is that going to be the ultimate decision? I, you know, if I'm Mbappe, I'd probably still pick Liverpool. I just feel like United are going to, this is going to be the splash move um, that they're going to make, that they've needed to make for a while. Um, and that's not just to, 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 to kind of annoy Phil, because I know how much he loves Mbappe. But I feel like there could be a fire sale in France in general, uh, and we could see a few players coming from that league, kind of into the Premier League. Mm, even Neymar. Mm. Like, uh, he hasn't signed a new contract with PSG. And... You know, he'd be the type of player I think, you know, would want to test himself in the Premier League. Now, where he goes, I don't know. It'd probably be have to be someone like Manchester City um, or Chelsea, but I don't think Chelsea will be interested in no. in Neymar considering the players they have. But like you said, I think it's there's three clubs that could really go out there and sign big players this summer, and Chelsea, United, and City are probably the three, unless Liverpool, you know, get funds from somewhere. I don't know what way their finances are at the moment. Like I know personally, like Arsenal will need to sell again if they're going to sign anyone big. Yeah, I th- well, LeBron James has just become a majority owner of uh, the Boston Sports Group there this evening, uh, so maybe he might 
pumped some cash into into Liverpool. But like it does feel like, it, it, in a way, it kind of is you know City, United, Chelsea in terms of all of Europe who have money to spend. Like even the fact that Real Madrid are looking at Ronaldo at this stage of his career kind of says a lot about where they are in terms of finances and things like that. So they're yeah. hoping that he, there, there's still some nostalgia there that's just going to maybe fuel him on for another couple of years that comes yeah. up, but you, you can see from the you know Juventus obviously going out of the Champions League that he he is on the decline obviously I mean yeah. he's 30 what is he 34 35 yeah. he's 35 isn't he mm. where does so, that leave Hazard then with Real Madrid if if Ronaldo is going back Hazard has had so many injuries as I think we chatted about in, in our group um, before, but it's it's mental. Like, well, he still had these injuries if he was still at Chelsea. You know, yeah, he went, he signed for Madrid, and apparently this went on an absolute mad one. You know, just ate whatever he wanted and just done whatever he wanted. And he came back for pre-season, just with so much weight on, and that could take a while to to get rid of. Like, knowing myself, I'm still trying to get rid of the weight from five years ago. Like, so it's tough. Like, <laughs> think, obviously, the, yeah, the the demands on him, I think, are much more at Real Madrid. And I think that's pushing his body. I read an interesting article on it there recently that it's pushing his body. It's like that um, article almost, I can't remember who wrote it, sorry, but um, is almost suggesting that he's not he's not a professional athlete. Like he's not built to be a professional athlete. He's just built to play football, as stupid as that sounds. Mm-hmm. And, it, the you know, the likes of Ronaldo and, and Bale to an extent as well when he went there and they just built him into a machine. But really? like, yeah, um, what they do. Yeah, look at her body shapes changed. Like they became different people when they mm-hmm. when they went to Madrid. Like it was insane to watch. Even Michael, and again, it's just because he's on the screen. Michael Owen's body shape changed when he went to Madrid, and like, yeah, it, it, certainly the demands of the the modern game doesn't suit the guy who was just a good footballer but not a good athlete. Uh, mm. We all know them. We all know guys who were kind of maybe a bit on the chunkier side, but you know, sublime first touch or brilliant defender or, or brilliant finisher or whatever. Like we, like it. Everyone, like you, have, there's football talent and there's athletic talent, and they're two very, very different things. Um, like look, like Luke Shaw is a great example of this. Like Luke Shaw is, there's a fat bloke in Luke Shaw waiting to get out. It's <laughs> 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 football that keeps him in shape, like and. You know, you can see that he lost a little bit of weight this year and his confidence came back. And I completely agree, it's taken this long to come back from the Mourinho experiment. Like, and you can see he's a different player because of it. Um, and I just wonder sometimes, like, would the slower kind of, I would have thought the slower pace in Spain would have suited Hazard, say, for example. But it's not the Madrid way. Madrid kind of are a much more up-tempo team than, say, most of the league or whatever. Uh, and I just feel like Hazard could be a really sneaky little boy for someone um, to get back into the Premier League because he's still obviously a very talented footballer. He just has had an awful time of it and the demands of Madrid has been have been too much. But you look at someone like you know, a West Ham or an Aston Villa, if they could get the phone, like, I don't think he'd even be that expensive, to be honest, at this stage, like, what he would add, yeah, there you go, as well, like, but what he'd add to a team, kind of, on the cusp of European football, I think he'd be a phenomenal signing, and it just goes to show that, like, we write off these guys when they go to a big club and they fail, or whatever, but you have, going back to our original conversation, like, you look at Odegaard, you know, Exactly. A prodigy that we all thought was going to be, you know, the next great. We thought he was ever going to be everything Haaland is becoming or whatever. I think Arsenal like should move heaven and earth to make that a permanent deal once once it's done because I think he's a phenomenal footballer, uh, and it's those kind of players who we kind of dispense a little bit, uh, that there, there's a good second career in them. Um, and, you know, you can do that deal much cheaper than your Mbappes or your Haaland's or your Canes or whatever. So yeah. I think there's a lot of, especially now that like the TV money is all up in the air and things like that as well. There's a lot of value to be had there. And I think this is going to be one of the most interesting summer transfer windows we've ever seen, because I think we could see a lot of movement because of that. Yeah, your your scouting teams and your directors of footballs are, are going to earn their money this year instead of just throwing the millions that they have at certain players it's it's those deals that you know are slightly below that or fines that they have like when um when Leicester 
find all their players for yeah. for winning their title that year. Um, those sort of finds are, are going to be so important. This season. I really um, agree with you there. And Jerry, do you? I know you maybe haven't um, been as enthused by the Arsenal um, in the in the past couple of weeks or by football in general. But how much have you seen of Odegaard? And you know, do you agree with Steve there that that Arsenal should should really push for him? Yeah. Well, I think that's probably it's probably important to kind of address that. Like, I um, just kind of echoing what Phil said in last week's pod. I do still listen. Don't worry. I, I did. I did hear your little slight remark last week, Steve. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I basically, I've basically been feeling the same way as Phil. Like, um, I don't know. It hasn't felt like football to me. It hasn't felt like Arsenal. Um, but obviously, like with the derby, like. I got myself pumped for it on Sunday morning and then it faded off. And then during the game, I kind of picked up a bit of interest again. But it just has been very hard for me to kind of watch it. And it's not because Arsenal are doing shit. It's not the reason at all. And I know people probably think that. But um, whilst I haven't been watching them live, I have been watching highlights of them and, and keeping an eye out on what people have been saying about the, the team on Twitter. And um, Odegaard definitely has been... Um, him very well and it's been very impressive like for a guy who like you said he was touted as the next big thing and you go to Real Madrid and there's all this pressure and it, it destroys people like you know just their careers are over after that they'll go away and they'll play maybe at a, a level that just makes a living for them but they'll never get to those heights of a Real Madrid Barcelona whatever um, whatever team in the elite leagues like but I think that you're right I think we do need to Sign Odegaard permanently in the summer. Um, there, there has been a, a conspiracy going about that Martinelli hasn't been playing because they're trying to keep him fit because Madrid want Martinelli and they're going to use Martinelli to sign Odegaard permanently in a swap deal or something like that anyway. And Danny Ceballos. Uh, personally, I wouldn't want Danny Ceballos permanently. I just don't think he's... I think he's the type of player you could get elsewhere for cheaper for somebody else. Like Odegaard's Quality is just a bit different. It's just kind of hard to find a player like that. But Danny's like, Joe will come back and do what Danny Ceballos has done for Arsenal this year. Like, Ceballos has had two assists in over 30 appearances. So, mm-hmm. you know. He's a bit popular. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think he's worth spending 30, 40 million on because I think that's what Madrid actually asked for him last summer was like near 40 million. And no chance. Absolutely no chance. But yeah, Odegaard has, has been, it's been fantastic. Um, would love to see him stay in an Arsenal shirt. We'll just have to see. It might end up being another loan deal for a season next year. Mm. Yeah, like Madrid are going to be rebuilding, no yeah. doubt. And a player like Odegaard, you know, that's the type of player you kind of want in a rebuild. So they probably or might want him back. So it's it's kind of hard to know right now. Hopefully they kind of want to sell him to generate some funds so they can rebuild. But I don't know. It, it really depends what Arsenal bring, what funds they have on the table and so I think a loan deal might work, though, because if you're paying his wages, I think Madrid would be happy enough with that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that probably works. But I do think, like, we've seen it with Salah, we've seen it with De Bruyne. Like, there's definitely a second career in these players. Like, you don't need to write them off from the first yeah. you know, If it fails the first time, like, it just was the wrong situation at the wrong time for for a lot of these players. And I think that's the case with Odegaard. And I think he suits... You won't like hearing this, but the fact that he suits the Arteta system means he suits another system in the Premier League as well. Um, up the road, um, that wouldn't wouldn't shock me either if they were if they were in for him as well. Like I know they've an abundance of talent, um, but you know when you have all the money in the world, you might as well gather all the talent as well. So yeah, no, like don't get me wrong, Leicester are definitely an attractive team designed for these days. Like. They will most likely be in, in, well, not Champions League, European football next year. Well, I don't think Arsenal will. Um, I think it's probably asking a lot for Arsenal to win the Europa League this year. There's still some really good teams there, and um, it's just I just don't believe Arsenal are going to win it. I don't think Arsenal are going to finish in the European spots either. But um, it could be a good thing for them. Uh, like Europa League, I've never really liked it, but. At the end of the day, it's been European football and it's been an opportunity to get into the Champions League. It's just so difficult now to get into those Champions League spots in the league. Like you look at 
like we we've talked about it so much this year. Like even Chelsea were were you sitting like three or four points ahead of us at one stage in ninth or eighth or something, and now you're in the top mm. four or something. It just changes yeah. so much. But I just think Chelsea have a better squad at the moment and they have the strength and depth to be able to switch players about. Um, and I think Chelsea will finish in the top four this year. I've no doubt about it. Like I, I think I don't think I've really been on and kind of talked about Tuchel, but he's done quite a good job with Chelsea uh, since he's come in. And like I might know we slagged him off. Like when we even prior, like there was rumours of him coming into Chelsea with, and Frank's last week and all. Like and like I said, I wasn't happy with him, but like he's done a good job. Like, there's no doubt. And but he probably be sacked next year, you know, and he doesn't win the league or something. Like that. <laughs> it's just the the Chelsea conveyor belt. They'll just move on to the next one, the next one, the next one, and just keep doing their thing. Yeah, right. It's it's hard on uh, on the head, on the on the <laughs> mental aspect <laughs> to keep switching well, so much. That's the thing. Um, like I'm sure Chelsea fans, obviously, you're not disappointed. Like you may not win a league for a year or two, but you'll win it again. And I think maybe you just kind of know that you will win it again eventually. Like you have the money there, you have the players. Like if the manager's not doing it, Abramovich is ruthless. He'll just go get another manager who'll do the job for him for a year or two, win the league, whatever he wants. Right? He's not doing it anymore. See you later. Bring the next one in. It's just um, yeah. it may be mad, but it works. Not the most. Yeah. Chelsea will win the league before United do. Like because they've they've better systems in place and like you said Abramovich will be ruthless with the manager whereas we've seen already that you know it won't be uh, so I, I I would think it's nailed on that Chelsea will win a league title again before before Man United do and I think Tuchel is probably going to be the manager that does that because he's right you're not scoring enough goals I think that's been established but he's not focusing on that is he like he's really focusing on solidifying everything at the back and then building from there uh, and their goals have come like Werner can't keep missing the chances he's missing and things like that. <laughs> like just by pure law of averages, like he can't just keep going that way. So uh, I think it would be fine for Chelsea. I think I think they're in a this year is going to be tough. I think next year might be tough, but I think you'll get European football both years, and I think there's a there's a decent title run in the next kind of two to three years. Yeah, I've um uh, <laughs> after that nil uh, nil with Leeds at the weekend um. I was reading a lot of things saying I don't think Chelsea Atletico on Wednesday night is going to be a classic Ben stretch. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no. I think that's that's very true. Um, I think <laughs> Tuchel will um, will just do what he's done and, and make sure um, Atletico don't score, and it's probably going to be similar at the other end. Um, but we, we there's just one more thing I want to touch on um, on Monday night football, Liverpool playing Wolves, and uh, the one one nil. Diogo Jota got the goal. Um, and side note, he looks great coming back. He, he'll strengthen Liverpool when they're pushing for the top four towards the end of the season. But there was an unfortunate um, incident uh, towards the end of the game when Salah got through um, and he was offside. He put the ball in the back of the net and the flag went up late. But in the meantime, uh, Connor Cody uh, was running back and collided with his own goalkeeper, uh, Ray Patricio. You've pro- probably seen it by now. It was all over Twitter. Um, but it has the debate again about the late flag. And I don't know about you lads, but when I'm sitting watching a game um, and you can see, everyone can see, that some decisions are absolute miles offside and they let it run on. They sometimes let it run on for you know nearly a minute. Um, and in that time, inevitably someone was going to get hurt. Now, you know, in the Liverpool Wolves game, it was maybe not that long um, between the, the flag going up and, and the incident happening. But do you think this, I've seen a lot of rule changes this year, but do you think this rule needs to be changed? Because we're, we're probably going to see more and more things like this happen. And thankfully, um, it seems like Ray Patricio was okay. He, he got an awful dig in the head um, with a knee of Connor Cody, but um, it's been reported that he's conscious and he remembers the incident and everything. So fingers crossed to be okay. But is this Steve? Is this you know something that needs to change because we're going to probably see more and more of this, and it could be serious the next time. Yeah, 
I think it is. I think football is making strides in the right direction in terms of concussion. Obviously, last night we saw they were able to bring on a concussion substitute and things like that. So I think that's good. Um, but I think this is what everyone worried about would happen with with this idea of keeping the flag down. Now, I don't blame the linesman or the referee last night. They're just doing what they're being told to do in terms of the laws of the game, even though it was clearly offside. And the ref or the assistant referee had a really good view of it. And you know in any normal situation, would have flagged straight away. Um, I think there needs to be... I think last night's a really difficult one because, as you said, it wasn't actually that long between the offside and the incident. You know, we've seen much longer. Like, I've seen, you know, nearly a full 10 seconds elapsed. There was a a, a Marcus Rashford one where he was a good, like, four yards offside and the play continued. He took the shot, like... Um, and, and that I don't understand. Even Rashford knew he was offside. Do you know what I mean? Like he, um, yeah. he, that, and that, that's where it's really frustrating. But I do think it needs, after last night, it needs to be looked at. Like, look, there, I know why they're doing it because if, 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 if Salah's onside last night and he scores a goal and, but the referee or the assistant referee flags it offside, they can't give the goal. I completely get that. But there needs to be something in between and I don't know whether that's like, the awarding of a an indirect free kick or a corner, or, like obviously you can't do a penalty because I think that's too much of an advantage or whatever. But there needs to be something that they tweak into the rule book rather than this just let play continue, especially when it's so so obvious. Because like what happens if 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 this is this is where I kind of had the issue with that the, the they let it run on and a really bad foul happens and mm-hmm. the player gets like you know a red card foul. But then it turns out the player is offside to begin with. Yes. And is a red card rescinded? Like, what, what, what are we going to do there? Like, or if the player gets his leg hurt and he can't continue, like, how's that an advantage for the team at all? So there's lots, there's so many, it's one of these things, uh, what, the law of unintended consequences. Like, you think you're doing the right thing, but yeah. then all of a sudden there's all these things you never ever factored in. Like, who, who would have thought that a, a defender would clash with his goalkeeper and, and, and knock him unconscious and then, like it, no, the people coming up with these laws probably never even considered that, and yet we know from real life experience that like football happens at a really quick pace. In a, in the blink of an eye, something bad can happen or good, you know, as well. Like, yeah. but like, injuries can happen really, really quickly and really, really innocuously. Um, so I do think it needs to be looked at. Um, but I don't think we necessarily have to go back to the old way either. I think we can. There must be a centre ground there that we can find kind of balance. At. Yeah, daily, surely people can get their heads together and come up with something better than that. Because at times, even you're watching it and thinking, "What's going on here?" Yeah, there's been too many rule changes. It's, it's probably why I've just hated football so much, <laughs> not just this year but in previous years. Like, um, what I I do get why you know you're saying we shouldn't go back to the old ways, but the old ways for me were fine. Like it. May have not gotten the right decision every single time, but that gave us something to talk about at the end of it. And yeah. at the time, I'd, I'd pull my hands up and say, something needs to change, it's ridiculous, they're getting too many decisions wrong, but I would take that in a heartbeat right now. And I think really what does need to change is the standard of refereeing, because they're really, really not good enough. Like, even the, the lack of that penalty at the weekend, there was a lot of ex-referees on and current referees and blah, 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 doing all this usual chat and, Every single one of them said it wasn't a penalty, blah, 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 all this here type of nonsense, but it's, um, I just, I've, I've said it so many times now, I'm just like a broken record, like the referees in England are crap. Langer said it, like there was a reason why they never went to the World Cup. Like they're, they're one of two countries that have professional referees along with Italy and nobody from England went to the last World Cup. It's because they're not good enough. They are absolute shade. And, you know, if you can't even call a simple offside, you know, why even there? I mean, like it's, it's, I understand there's some very tight decisions which are very, very hard. But like, if you look at the way VARs, you know, deciding offsides now, and we're seeing the guy draw the line and point yeah. down where his bloody elbow is, or his yeah. shoulder, or where his toe, like, come on, like, that's just, that's not football anymore. Like, like yeah, the I, like Fenger's, I like Fenger's recommendation that if any part of the 
the player who can, if there's any part of his body that he can score a goal with is onside, then it's not offside. I actually really liked that as a definition of offside because I think, you know, the, the, the idea of offside is always supposed to be to give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. And right now we're seeing that, you know, if a, if a hair on his knuckle is offside, it's getting flagged offside. So, yeah. uh, I don't know, like video, like we've seen it in, I wouldn't mind like, there's loads of examples from US sports from baseball from American football video actually makes things worse uh, so that's why I never understood why VAR was actually brought in in the first place because it slowed down baseball it slowed down American football and neither sport is better for its inclusion and, and, and JD is right like I would much rather be discussing after a match in a pub when we get back to pubs to go Jesus how did the linesman make that mistake you know like I, yeah I know it was Close, but it's his job to spot these things, or how did the referee give that penalty? And Jesus, did you see the set square and the the, the ninety degree angle they used on the line? <laughs> like it's just not football. Like it's not football. And we're seeing it with like, and again, like people are scoring goals and not celebrating because in their own head they're going, "Oh, I might get ruled out for offside there." Whereas before, yeah. you almost used to give it the big one when you scored, just so the linesman wouldn't stick up his flag because you're like, "Oh, he's so confident he scored, I'm not going to flag it." <laughs> yeah. like, I kind, I kind of do miss that. Like, and don't get me wrong, like there was a tweet doing the rounds. I think we shared it in the group today, like about, uh, you know, saying that City's goal against Spurs was the moment that you know football was ruined because Sterling celebrated and everyone went mad and they thought City were in a Champions League final or whatever. Uh, or you know, I went mad. Yeah, well, there you go. I was running around my house. Honest <laughs> to God, I actually ran into my parents' room and I was like, "Is that actually scored? Yes!" And I went back into the room and I just seen all this cat going on. I was like, "What's what's going on here?" And then they took the goal away, and I was like, "Ah, you can't like they can't just you can't take that emotion from people. Like it's no. like there's guys yeah, that go out to do work all week and have the shittest week in work. Um, the only thing they have is a Saturday of football and." That joy and that emotion and just everything that comes with it, it's just ruined because people are trying to change things with a video. Like, I, I don't understand even why they can't hook up the referees to mics like they are doing in Australia, why, the way they're doing rugby, so we can understand what's going on, what's the referees thinking, why are they going to the screen, why are they going to VAR? There's none of this. and It's because the referees aren't good enough. I don't even think they understand all the rules of the game either. I think they're, they're, they're trying to... You know, this whole thing has stemmed, I think, from them trying to put the blame elsewhere and put it on technology. And look, we draw the line and it's not us making the decision. It's black and white. There it is. You know, we can't be blamed for this. We're not putting up our flag until, you know, the decision is right. And it's it's fact that somebody's definitely offside. The same with handball. But actually, now it has... It has got to the point where, uh, as you said, Eddie, we're, we're criticizing them for for not even knowing the rules because they've complicated with too many, you know, add-ons and and you know they're even asking clubs in the middle of the season, what do you think of this? You know, should we change this? And it's just too much. Um, and as you say, Steve, like, um, if you, if you get to the end of the game, you go back to the pub or whatever, and you're you're saying oh, I can't believe he, he, he called that wrong or whatever you know it's just part of the job just get better at your job and yes we know that everyone's going to make a mistake like you might have not called an offside correctly but you know you'll you'll do it for one team one week and, and another team in next week but like people will forgive that very quickly because footballers like are making mistakes constantly like they're missing chances and um so I think it balances out if you if you take it all away. Um, they they were trying to sort of make something that's not going to be perfect perfect, and it's never going to be. There's always going to be somebody who spots something that's that's not exactly right. And you know, as Wenger uh, attested to, you know, where do you draw the line? Is, is somebody offside if you know if their shoulders onside? So, um. It's something that we're we're never going to get to the end of if you keep trying to add and onto it and add onto it. Yeah, and like the, it's you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's this strive for perfection in a game that's built on imperfection. Because if if football was perfect, every game would end nil nil. 
Like that's just the way it would be. Like everyone, everyone else on that field is allowed to make mistakes. The referees and the assistant referees should be allowed to make mistakes too, because it will balance out over the course of the season. Like very, very, very rarely does one decision cost the team a title, or does one decision cost the team relegation or promotion or whatever? That's so yeah. we shouldn't we shouldn't legislate for the the one in a million chance that something like that will happen. Um, I would much rather that we were all able to come on this podcast or go to the pub and, and chat about, um, you know, a, a 50-50 offside or a 50-50 penalty that didn't have to be decided after three minutes. And not, like, JD's right, like, not knowing what, why the decision is made. Like, that, like, we spoke about it last week. I was mentioning about, like, the referees being able to, you know, be interviewed after the game to explain why they took yeah. these decisions. Like, it's the not knowing. That's the most frustrating thing. Like, for my seven-year-old, that's the brat. Like, not knowing why he's doing it is more... Like, I don't care about what he's doing if he throws, like, a, a, an Xbox controller across the room. That's not that's not what matters. I want to know why he did it. Like, what caused him to do it? That's the most important thing. Yeah. And likewise, with a referee, well, like, why did you not book Harry Kane there? Or why didn't you give that penalty in that situation? That Like, I'll forgive you if you got it wrong. I just want to know why. That's all, that's all any football fan, I think, wants to know. And it seems like a certain Jose Mourinho agrees with you, Steve. You're yeah. just burnt on. <laughs> oh my god! I take it all back. None of it is true. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that, to be honest, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Just we'll leave that in Steve's head. <laughs> With the fifty seconds. <laughs> that's yeah. Just to add that into the fifty seconds, and you, you have yourself a nightmare. Um, yeah, um, that'll do us for this week. Um, Phil and Paddy will hopefully be back next week, and we can roast them about Liverpool then. Um, I think playing Arsenal very soon, Jerry, so that should be interesting. Um, Lord help us. Two teams vying for the Europa League. Um, well, so Arteta has a great league. record against Klopp. He's played Klopp three times. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right. I remember you rubbing that in Phil's face before when you had absolutely no other armor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, Jetty, uh, welcome back. Thank you for coming, and we look uh, forward nice to, to, back. to seeing you again as as the Arsenal Arteta train rolls on. Um, yes. Steve, thank you very much as well. Hopefully, we'll get some Ole Bashan in next week. We didn't didn't really get oh, this week. Nice, there was a few nice points in there, but. Yeah, it's nice not to have an ex- ex- existential crisis every week. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, uh, you can catch us on all social media at the Football Babble Pod. Um, just search that, or um, if you can, throw us something at patreon.com forward slash football babble. Um, see you again next week. Good luck.